The reading from the word this morning, Matthew 6, 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. The Lord bless the reading of the word. Well, if you're here for the first time, we're working through a a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount known as the Kingdom Life. And this is Jesus teaching through the Sermon on the Mount really to, to help people understand what God's people are like. God's kingdom has come to earth through Christ and through the work of Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit, now that kingdom resides in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in chapters five and six discussed what people are like and also what God's people should do. And the Beatitudes spoke about what we're like and then Jesus began to speak about what we should do and he talked about how we're to deal with money and possessions. He also talked about as Christians, how do we deal with anxiety and worry? Moving into chapter seven, Jesus began to deal with how we as God's people are to act in relationships. Now one thing that's happening in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is contrasting the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and Pharisees with true biblical teaching. And last time in chapter seven, particularly in verses one through six, he showed that those people that are what we might call hyper-religious are also hypercritical. The scribes and Pharisees, they think they've got it all together and they look down and criticize others. God's people, Christians, are not to be like that. Not only are they hypercritical, but also they're hypocritical, right? They got these gigantic logs in their face of sin, but yet they judge others for a little speck of dust of sin in their life. And he says, don't be like that. And they're not to take lightly the word of God. We're to ask for wisdom and have discernment on who and when and how we preach and share the gospel. We looked at that last week. That's in the negative, what we're not to do. This week it shifts and now it's in the positive. What should we do in our relationship with others? The first thing we'll see this morning, seek God's help persistently in prayer. Seek God's help persistently in prayer. Now, each of us know that we have this opportunity to come to God. The doors have been opened wide. Those of us that know Christ, suddenly we can come into the very throne room of God. But what Jesus here is is saying to us is do it a lot. Don't give up. Be persistent in prayer. Always come. Because he's a father that longs to hear Look at verses seven and eight, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So God's people, we're to be prayer warriors, persistent in prayer. 
And I want to tell you up front what this is not saying. The context of this passage is not dealing with material possessions, asking for whatever we want. It's not saying that all we have to do is by faith be persistent and name it and claim it. It is not saying that. God is not a celestial vending machine. He is not one where we just pull the handle and all of a sudden the answer spits out. This is calling us as brothers and sisters in the Lord to continually come to God for help. It is for us to realize that we got nothing, but in Him, all things are possible. In the broad context of this sermon, it sets down the, the righteousness and the humility and the purity and the love that is expected from God's people. And when we understand who we are in Christ, it should humble us. And we should become dependent on him and see our need for his help. And again, last time in verses one through six, we saw Jesus warn us of the dangers of having a condemning spirit, of having that huge log of sin in our life and yet judging others for their little specks. And in verse two, he said this, He said, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. But how are we to live up to such a high standard that God is calling us to? How are we supposed to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? He tells us right here, we gotta seek him. We need help. Because on your own, in your flesh, by yourself, you can never do the things that Jesus is calling us to do. So what do we do? Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And when you look at this language in the Greek, it's very compelling because there are three verbs. Ask, seek, knock. These are known as commands or imperative verbs, but they are increasing in intensity. Ask implies that we have a conscious need. There's something in our lives that we know, but there's a a humility here. It's a lesser asking of the greater. Seek involves the same idea, but it also has action. The idea is that not only do you ask, but you also get busy to see what God is doing. For some people, you may be looking for work. It's not only praying for a job, it's writing out that resume, it's going on LinkedIn, whatever. Action. Knock includes asking plus action, but also persistence and persevering. And the stacking of these words are very forceful. And the fact that they're present imperatives So in the Greek language, you have two kinds of imperatives. You have the aorist imperative. That's a divine command. It means keep shutting the door or pick up the pen. In the present, it's a continuous action. Keep on shutting the door. Keep up picking up that pen. And so this is saying, the proper way to say this is keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So this is an encouragement right here from Jesus that we need God's grace. This is him saying to us, particularly when involving relationships, that we are to continually, continually come back and ask and seek and knock. 
By the way, who is this for? I mean, can anybody just come and ask and knock, and if you just really are persistent, then God will open up that door? In the context of this setting, this is for God's people. Those that know God as a father, that are his children in faith. And those of us who are born again, we recognize this, this helpless state of our need, that we need grace. And this is why Jesus began this whole section in the Beatitudes with chapter five of Matthew, verse three. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He began there because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we realize our great need of grace from him. And we have this broken spirit within us to seek him. So who's eligible to receive this promise? In the context of this, help is given to only believers not to unbelievers. And contrary to some interpretations, some people say, well, if anybody just knocks and asks, then God will open the door if you're persistent. No, when you look at verse eight, it says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. It refers only those who know God as a father. The two overriding relationships that are focused on in this section of Matthew, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven is in two areas. One, as God is a king, and two, as God is a father. It is God's children who keep asking and knocking and seeking, and God will open to them. Now, Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, almost the exact counterpart of this text. But the point in the passage of Luke is that there can be no answer for those who do not know God. In verse 24, Jesus taught that only those who are saved are those who come through the narrow door. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus says starting in verse 25. He says, once the head of the house gets up and he shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And then you begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves will be thrown out. So you have both in Matthew, what we're looking at here in chapter seven, and also in Luke, that there's an asking and there's a knocking but in Matthew, it is the believer and they'll receive. But in Luke, it is an unbeliever and they will, the Lord will not open the door. As a side note, if an unbeliever has a repentant heart, a broken and contrite spirit, and they turn to Christ by faith, God hears that prayer. Now the Sermon on the Mount, it focuses on God's kingdom, but it also focuses on God as a father. And Jesus repeatedly references God as heavenly father. Three times in chapter five, he speaks to him as God, our father. 11 times in chapter six, God is our father. So as a believer, we have a father. We're part of the family. That means we can come to him at any moment. But we must come to him by faith. We must believe. Now Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So this morning, 
Do you believe that he is? Is your faith in Christ? Do you trust him? Because if you do, he hears those prayers. You seek him, you keep asking for help. If you don't, that door is shut to you. So the first thing, we must believe and be born again. But those who ask, seek, and knock, also we must be obedient children. If you want your prayers answered, if you desire to hear from God, one of the requirements is that we're obeying his word. It's one thing to say I believe and live every way we want, but it's another thing to say I believe you, I trust you, and I will obey you. Now Jesus speaks this very clearly in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The expression of our relationship with Christ, the expression of our love, is that we actually obey his word. An obedient life is a critical component to answered prayer. If you say one thing, yes, I love you, and yet you live a totally different way, don't expect to have answered prayer. So not only must we be believers, but two, we must obey his word. There's a third thing. We have to have the right motive. If if you want your prayers answered, if you want to hear God's voice, you got to have a right heart before him. Listen to what James says in James 4.3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive because you want to spend it on your own pleasures. If you're asking for something but it's all about you, there's something up there. Is there a desire in your heart when you're asking in prayer that you want to grow closer to him? Is there something about that prayer that is strictly selfish or is it God-centered, other-oriented? If your motives and your hearts are wrong, don't expect to have an answer to your prayer. Now there's a key to this section and the key is persistence. Some of you have been praying for loved ones for years. I'm one of them. And there are things in your life that that you've been asking God. But the key here is don't give up. Be persistent. Luke chapter 11 is, is another parable that Jesus shares in this idea of persistence. And in Luke, he shares this parable from Jesus and it teaches again persistent prayer. Listen to Luke 11, five through 10. It says, then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and he says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, He will get up and he'll give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks, it will be opened. Let me just tell you right up front. God is not a grumpy neighbor. That's not what this parable is talking about. I said that in a message a couple weeks ago. What this is pointing to is we as God's people are to be persistent, to not give up. And when we're praying with the right attitude, when we're obedient to the Lord, when we trust in Christ, he hears our prayers and he's saying he'll answer. Now verse eight says, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks 
it will be open. So for per persistent prayer, it opens the doors that God has for us as storehouses. Now, Jesus shares another parable that stresses the same point of persistent prayer, and that is in Luke 18. Now, in this particular parable, there is a judge who does not fear God or man, and there is a widow who has need of justice. And this widow, she just will not give up. She, she bugs this judge night and day. Listen to this in Luke 18, 4 through 8. It says, for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor represent man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous just said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now again, God is not like that judge. He is a father. He wants us as his children to come to him. This, what's being stressed here is the persistent of the widow. And so we, as God's children, are to come regularly and to seek and to knock and we're to be constantly coming to our Father. Now, some of you might be asking, yeah, but how come I'm not getting what I want? And maybe the question is, maybe you're not praying in God's will. Now, this is a question, well, how do then do I know God's will? And I want to help us a little bit. I'm going to give you kind of a three-step plan to know God's will. First, we must be submissive to his will. And we know this from 1 John 5, 14. It says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. Okay, but how do we know with confidence that we're actually praying within the will of God? Three things. First, if you are praying for the salvation of the lost, you are praying within God's will, without a doubt. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is a good and right thing that you are continually knocking on the door of our Lord for the hearts and souls of men and women. This is his heart. And you can know you're absolutely praying if you call it the sweet spot when you're praying for the lost. First one. Second one, you know you're praying in God's will if you're praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're saying, Lord, I want to be filled, led, influenced by your Spirit. That is a good and honest prayer. Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk on wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now what Paul's doing there, he's contrasting the negative influence of alcohol with the positive influence of the Holy Spirit. And as a believer, other passages speak about us as we are to walk in the Spirit. That means that we are to be led and influenced by God's Spirit. Well, how do we do that? Well, the primary way to know that you're actually walking and being led in the Spirit is obedience again to God's Word and that you know God's Word. You see, Spirit and truth, they are linked Listen to Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
If the word of God is dominating your heart, if the word of God is the main thing in your life, and you are obeying and following the word, then you're walking in the spirit of God. I don't think it has to be that mystical. It's not lying around and saying, oh God, would you fill me with your spirit? I believe a truer sense of this is that we're saturated with the word of God. And then God influences us by his spirit to the truth that we already have in there. I cannot tell you how many times that I've been sharing with an unbeliever and talking to them and all of a sudden the Lord brings to my mind and my heart a scripture to share. Or how many times I've been praying and saying, God, I need to know your will and he'll bring a passage of scripture to me and clarify my thoughts. The spirit of God and the word of God, truth, they are linked. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you know you're praying in the will of God when you're praying for the lost. You know you're praying in the will of God when you're asking to be filled with the Spirit. And the third one, you know you're praying in the will of God when you're asking Him to help you to grow in holiness. When you're asking God to sanctify your life, that you may honor Him with your life. Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. What what Paul is saying there is that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit of God, he resides in us. And God is calling us, never can we live a sin-free life, but God is calling us to ask him to cleanse us from known sin, particularly sexual sin because that involves the body. Now, as Christians, the Bible says we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. How do we do that? Bottom line, you need wisdom, and you need biblical wisdom. And the Bible says that when we ask for it, he will give it to us liberally. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, it is given to him. So the three-step plan, when you're praying, Pray for the salvation of others. Pray that God would fill you and lead you and influence you by his spirit. And third, God, make me holy. Sanctify my life. That is definitely praying in the will of God. Now you've got to say, well, yeah, but what about the gray areas of life? What about the stuff, should I move? Or should I take that job? Or should I date this person? Those kind of things. We call them the gray areas. There's seven things I want to kind of share with you to think through with me. As you're thinking about these things, does this honor God? Will it benefit me spiritually? What you're praying about, ask this question, will it benefit me spiritually? What I'm thinking of doing, what I'm praying about, I mean, you might be praying about a job, and it might be a really good job, but that job might be 60 hours a week. You've got to drive four hours or whatever during the day. You're gone all day long. It ruins your family life. You can no longer go to church. Well, God, should I take that job? Probably not. Will it impact me spiritually, first thing? Second thing, will it bring me into some kind of bondage? Some kind of bondage. What I'm praying for, will it bring me under the power of anything? Could it be habit forming? Maybe you have a lot of pain and you're thinking, well, hey, pot's legal, so I'm gonna start smoking pot. 
Well, we just read, don't be drunk on wine. That means that whatever impacts your thinking, probably not. I would say don't do it. Third thing, does what I'm praying about go against the clear command of Scripture? Does it go against the clear black and whites of Scripture? If it does, I can tell you flat out, no. The answer is no. But you might be saying, yeah, but I, I really, really am attracted and really like this person. I know they're not a Christian, but... The black and whites of Scripture say, do not date an unbeliever. So there are many things that are just plain and clear. Fourth one, will it cause me to stumble a brother or sister? Will it cause me to stumble a brother or sister? We have responsibilities as Christians. We influence others. Now for Paul in his day, it was meat sacrificed to idols, right? And he said, look, if I'm with somebody and it's a problem, I'm not gonna eat meat. But for us in our, our day, that's probably not it. But maybe you're planning a party and you're thinking about having alcohol there, but you know that you're gonna have another bro- number of brothers and sisters there. Maybe it's not right to have alcohol there. Maybe you're planning to go on this trip with somebody, but there's a lot of gambling on that trip, but you know that there's a brother or sister that really struggling on that. Or maybe it's better to change the venue where you're gonna go. Decisions that make. Will it be a negative witness? What you're praying about, will it impact people negatively? Because what you say, what you post, all those things have an influence. Number six, does what you're praying for violate your conscience? Does it violate your conscience? If you're just unsettled, then I would say wait, don't move. Because unless you can have a clear conscience in what you're saying and doing, I wouldn't do it. And the last one, will it bring glory to God? And the opposite of that, would it dishonor God? We wanna glorify the Lord with our lives. So guys, we are to be persistent in prayer. Now many of you may have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s and he was responsible in England for setting up a number of orphanages that handled thousands of children. And they discovered a diary by George Mueller that at the beginning of his Christian life, he began to to write out what he was praying for. And in that diary, he was praying for five men. And so he started to pray for their salvation. And after 18 months, and he said, literally, I'm going to pray every day, no matter what, and he did, every day. It didn't matter if it was raining, if he was on a boat, if he was on a mission trip, whatever he was doing, he prayed for those five men for their salvation. And after 18 months, the first one came to know Christ. And he said he praised the Lord and he kept on praying. Five years later, the second one came to know Christ. Praise the Lord, kept on praying. Six years after that, the third one came to know Christ. Praise the Lord, kept on praying for the last two. It says 36 years later, those two two still did not know Christ. And in 1897, that's 52 years after he began to pray, those two men still weren't converted. And George Mueller, he died in 1898. And within months, the last two came to know the Lord. That is persistent prayer. That's a man who understood that verse. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Be persistent. Second thing we see here, seek God's help confidently in prayer. So not only are we to be persistent, but we can be confident as God's children that we can come before the throne of God. Look at verses nine through 11. Or what man is there among you 
When his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Will he? And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So I don't know if you know this, but as children of God, that we can come before the throne of our Father at any time and at any moment. And we can actually come to that throne boldly and confidently. But again, it's not always giving us what we want. We still have to pray in a way that honors him. And aren't you glad sometimes God doesn't give you what you want? I mean, sometimes the best answer from God is no. I was reading about a seminary professor, his name is Howard Hendricks, and he said that when he was a young man, that there were a number of moms that he knew that had daughters that they wanted him to be the one who married their daughter. And one of the moms even came up to him and said, you know, I'm praying that you're gonna be my son-in-law. And then later he said, I am so glad that God sometimes lets those prayers go unanswered. (laughs) Right? And then he added, and I'm glad sometimes he doesn't answer all my prayers either. I mean, could you imagine if every one of us had every prayer we ever prayed always answered in the affirmative? So whatever I'm praying, it's yes, and whatever you're praying, yes. I mean, we'd be in such confusion in this world. I mean, the world's already messed up. I mean, how bad would that be? Sometimes the best answers to prayer are wait and no. Now, Jesus assures us that we can approach confidently to the throne, and he uses really the, this example here. These are outrageous I mean, look at verses nine and 10 again. It says, or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake, will he? I mean, again, the argument here is the lesser to the greater. It's this idea, if if it's true for the lesser, how much more true for the greater? And so any normal parent, I'm talking a normal parent, no normal parent would ever, ever give their hungry child a stone to eat. And by the way, that, he's preaching this in the Galilee. And if you've been down to the Galilee by the water, they have these stones that are flat that look like those little round bread that you have in, in the area of Jerusalem area. And, and he's saying, you would never give them a stone and bread. You never do it. I mean, who in their right mind, if your child says, I want a piece of dried fish, would he ever give him a snake? And by the way, in the Galilee, they actually have eels in the Sea of Galilee that look like snakes. I mean, neither one of those would a parent ever do. And by the way, in the book of Luke, Jesus also said in that section, or if he asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? By the way, there are large scorpions in that area, and when they're sleeping, they curl up and they're kind of oval-shaped just like an egg. No parent in their right mind would ever do that. Well, how much more then would God in heaven not Give us what we need or ask. Do you see the difference? And by the way, we can be bold. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of our need. Our God wants us to come. Sometimes, though, it's the answer. And sometimes the answer may be no. Now, I was reading uh, this past week about... Joni Erickson Tata, many of you know who she is. She's a paraplegic. And she was reflecting on her diving accident. Did you know when she was 14, she actually prayed to receive Christ? But then later on in her teenage years, she didn't live to honor Christ. And this is what she said. She said, in April of 1967, 
I came home from a sword Friday night with my boyfriend and I was ashamed. And I cried out to God, I'm staining your reputation by my saying that I'm a Christian. Yet doing one thing on Friday night and another on Sunday morning, I'm a hypocrite and I want to change my life. And this is what she prayed, listen. She says, please do something in my life that will jerk me right side up because I'm making a mess of my Christian faith in my life and I don't want that. I want to glorify you. Three months later, she had her diving accident. Now, I want you to hear what she says. Immediately after the accident, she told God, you'll never be trusted with one of my prayers again. But then months later, as she was going through some therapy and struggling, this is what she prayed. She said, I prayed one short prayer that was the most powerful prayer that I've ever prayed in my life. She said, oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. Now, I did some research, and and I found an article in Decision Magazine, which is the Billy Graham magazine, and they asked her a bunch of questions, but one question really helped me to kind of see how God answered that prayer. The question by the Billy Graham organization, now this is some 30-some years later, says, we've heard you say you prayed in the past to be able to walk again, to be able to be free from your wheelchair. And the answer from God has been no. What can you learn from that? Listen to her response. She says, sometimes God's best answers to prayer is no. Because if indeed we received everything we prayed for, all of our wants, all of our wishes, and our heart's desires, I just don't think it would be God's best for our life. He goes, let me share a quick story with you. I remember when I was in the hospital many years ago, I used to imagine myself in the Gospel of John chapter 5, lying by the pool of Bethsaida, where there were all those disabled and sick and lame people, and Jesus was walking up, and I would cry out to Jesus, oh Jesus, heal me, and I would pray, God, heal me. And as many times as I prayed that, he never healed me. Well, many years later, my husband Ken and I, we had the chance to visit Israel, and we spent the whole day touring Jerusalem, and it was late one afternoon, and we arrived by the pool of Bethsaida. And as soon as I saw those old ruins, I turned to Ken and said, Ken, you won't believe it. Remember decades ago when I was in the hospital, and I used to picture myself here, and I used to imagine myself talking to God and and begging that he would heal me? But you know what? I'm glad God didn't because the no answer to that prayer for healing has meant a more urgent leaning on him every day and a more vibrant hope for heaven and a deeper sense of prayer and a more energetic love for his word. And it has fostered a deeper friendship and concern and compassion for others. And it has helped me to start this ministry, Joni and Friends, that has helped thousands with disabilities. It wasn't until I was sitting there leaning on the guardrail and looking at the ruins of Pula Bethesda that I realized how wonderful it is that God sometimes answers no. But he actually answered yes to that earlier prayer. And he helped her understand, oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And boy, does she know how to live. Live for Christ. Two things. Seek God's help persistently in prayer. Seek God's help confidently in prayer. Here's the last one. Seek God's help humbly to live out the golden rule. To live out the golden rule. Now, depending on where you come from and kind of your religious background, some people believe that you can actually live out the golden rule. That kind of this is the standard, which it is, and this is why Jesus has this here in this place, 
Those first two as seeking him confidently and seeking him consistently and persistently should lead to a godly life, which is what this is. But can I tell you something? You cannot do it on your own. Again, this is to show us within ourselves, we don't have it. You can't do it. There is no way, no how. Look at what it says. It says, in everything, therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Guys, this is a super high standard. Now, it's interesting. I did a fair amount of research on this. Every religion and philosophy has kind of a form of the golden rule. But it's interesting when you look at them, it's not, in, this is positive, negative. They're all negative. Listen to what John MacArthur said about that. He says, how we treat others is not to be determined by how we expect them to treat us or how we think they should treat us, but how we want them to treat us. Herein is the heart of the principle, an aspect of general truth that is not found in similar expressions in other religions and philosophies. So other religions and philosophies, they have a form of this. Let me read you a few of them. The Jewish rabbi Hillel says, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. It's in the negative. The book of Tobit, which is in the Apocrypha, says, what thou thyself hatest, to no man do. The Greek philosopher Epictus said, what you avoid in suffering yourself, do not afflict to others. And then the Stoics said this, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. The idea is don't do something bad to someone else so they won't do bad to something to you. Do you guys get it? It's in the negative. But Jesus isn't saying that. He is saying how you think you should be treated. This is how you are to treat others. The others are selfish. I don't want to get hit. I don't want anything negative to hit me, so I'll treat somebody nice. It's selfish. It's self-centered. The way Jesus put it, it's other-centered. It's other-focused. It is God sending his own son into this world to die for a sinful people type of focus. And without the Holy Spirit, there is just no way, no way. You must know Christ and walk with Christ and be filled with the Spirit to ever come close to be able to live this out. I'm gonna close with something C.S. Lewis said. He said, when I was a child, I often had a toothache and, and I knew that if I went to my mother that she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night. And she'd let me get to sleep but I did not go to my mother, at least, not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew that she was also, would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I did not, want to, I did not get without having my teeth set permanently right. I knew those dentists, I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let the sleeping dogs lie. If you give them an inch, they took a mile. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. That is why he warned people, count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you mature. And the moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for, nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand, 
I'm going to see this drop through. I will never rest, nor let you rest until you are literally perfect, until my Father can say without reservation that he will be well pleased with you as he said he was well pleased with me. There's an inner work by God that he is perfecting us, he is maturing us, and this is part of the deal. And the golden rule is part of that. You are never going to be sinless, but you are going to sin less. And more and more you'll be able to seek him with an open heart. And my heart is I pray that we can learn this, that we'll actually be able through the power of the Spirit to treat others as we wish they would treat us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Father, that you've just made it so clear that we can come to you at any moment as our Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to be persistent in prayer. I thank you, Lord, that you have opened up the door that we may boldly come into the throne of God and and seek you. And then, Lord, you change our hearts from being selfish to being selfless. And that can only be done by your spirit. So God, help us as we continue to walk with you. May you continue to teach us and help us and mature us. And Father, we turn to you now and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what you've been praying for. What is that continual persistent prayer? But as many of you know, I've, I prayed for my family to come to know Christ for years and years. Second service, my mother's gonna be here. 24 years of prayer, asking the Lord to save her. And a little over four years ago, she came into the kingdom of God. Almost 26 years for my brother Rick. Pray, ask, seek, knock, and he will be faithful. So I just wanna ask the Lord to help each one of you with whatever that is you're still asking for that he would answer it. Let's pray. Father, we give this into your hands and may you do this work. Each of us have those areas of our life and people in our life that we wanna see you move. Father, please do your work as you can only do. We lay this before you. We ask that you would move in power and that this would be in your will. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.